Today sucks. This has been the worst day ever. Can't catch shad, can't catch catfish. I got rid of the nachos and my bang's warm. Welcome back to the Peeling Drag Podcast. I am Josh Dolan. I'm Grant Alvis, episode two. I am full of spaghetti. I can barely breathe right now, but... As you can tell, if you listen to episode one, I have fixed my audio, I think. As I'm learning, like, trying to work out the bugs with podcasting and all that. It's going to keep getting better every every time. I hope until so. Until we get all the bugs worked out. Yeah, it, uh, I've learned how to catch fish, I've learned how to film stuff, and now I'm becoming an audio technician. So, needless to say, it's a little bit of a uh, hands-full situation. But Baby steps. Yeah. Hope you all are enjoying your day, your evening, wherever you're listening to us from. Thank you for tuning in to episode two. Um, we're going to go ahead and jump right into it with some fishing news. Uh, I have a few things I can sort of lead us off here with. Uh, an angler caught the new state record catch and release smallmouth bass for Idaho. Um, as you know, Idaho is a favorite of mine. I got my buddy Steve out there. In Caldwell, Idaho. This fish weighed 9.1 pounds. That's a big one. It's like the exact same size as our state record. Yeah, close, close. No, I wait, actually, ours is 8.1. Yeah, 9.1's nine huge. huge. This is 23 and 3 quarter inch smallmouth bass caught at Dwarshack Reservoir, which I've heard uh, Steve mention that one. I think it has some large yellow perch in it, too. This was caught December 13th, 2022 by angler Joey Walton. So that's pretty cool. That's big smallie. That's big. There's not a lot of smallmouth bass that size. You uh, also don't hear about smallmouth in like Idaho. Yeah, Idaho's one of those weird. Well, you don't hear a lot about a lot of anything in Idaho other than like trout. Well, sturgeon. Snake yeah. Or, well, yeah. Sturgeon, yeah. But. Idaho. I, I'm not going to say it's a weird state. It's a sleeper state. You don't expect. Oh yeah, Idahoans are weird. <laughs> yeah, Idaho's weird. Some of the potatoes out there. <laughs> No, but uh, there's big fish in Idaho, man. I mean, their yellow perch get really big, smallmouth get big, crappy. Um, I saw some carp on an underwater camera that looked pretty sizable. I mean, Pl- it's got to be pretty substantial to grow a smallmouth nine pounds. That's, yeah, that's, that's not just a random fish. Pretty huge. So they got a lot of deep water lakes. Everything's yeah. pretty um, cold water there. Is that area so. where you catch those sturgeon? Have smallmouth in? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I have cam. I have footage on my computer right now of smallmouth swimming by the underwater camera right Did y'all ever catch any where you were trout fishing for we never bait? tried uh, we might i feel like one would strike a joe fly or something yeah i i can't remember off the top of my head i don't <laughs> think we did but it's one of those deals where there's so many trout around you really don't yeah. you know you might run into the odd smallmouth here and there but um my second bit of angling news is the north dakota state record burbot 
actually just got beat. Uh, previous record was 18 pounds, 4 ounces, 41 inches long. And the new record, which should be approved around the 1st of February, was 19 pounds, 5 ounces. So it's a pretty solid bourbon. Caught by it's Angler. All tackle on bourbon. I know those. All tackle? Oh, I don't. It's massive. I know those two guys up there. Yeah, the Fishing Geeks, the yeah. twins, uh, Conrad One Brothers. One of them has it. Yeah. One's got the bourbon. The other one has the rainbow, rainbow trout. trout. Yeah, the triploid rainbow out of Lake Diefenbaker. But uh, angler Shane Johnson of M-I-N-O-T. So I don't know if it's Minot, Minot. But uh, caught it January 4th, 2023 while fishing the Garrison Dam tail race. So bourbon's one of those cool species, man. It, it looks a lot... Boat, yeah, that the well, the all tackle is twenty five point two. So yeah. Grant pulled up a picture of one. I of think is huge. Conrad Brothers with their uh, bourbon. Yeah, that's a. And mess. It was caught during the day. Like that's rare for bourbon too, isn't it? Yeah, I've watched videos of them fishing for them, and they they mentioned like daytime bourbon fishing's pretty pretty rare. I don't well, know. If, even through the ice, you see them catching them at like dusk and dawn, yeah. or like at night. Yeah, they're definitely like a nocturnal fish they remind you a lot of like flatheads and stuff you can catch literally like an eel yeah you can catch them during the day but nighttime is the right time for those things but burbot look a lot like kind of an eel slash bowfin slash snakehead kind of mix but they don't uh, really have any sort of like uh they don't have any sort of like bone structure to them though like when you see people catch them and stuff they they move like an eel yeah 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 i know what you're trying to say yeah for sure they're 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 definitely a uh an interesting fish that I'm hopefully one day will go try to catch for myself. But uh, congrats to those anglers. Uh, I think you have a couple yourself, yeah. don't you? I got one. Um, pretty serious one though. Uh, this occurred on I had the date right here. I think it was oh yeah January twelfth, uh, twenty twenty three. So just what but is... today is January twelfth. This was posted January twelfth. Sorry. Um. Oh, it was caught last week. Okay. Um, 560 pound swordfish caught in North Carolina by a 13 year old. That's uh, heavy lifting for that kid, for yeah, sure. Probably weighed, I mean, 13 year olds, I weighed 100 pounds. So it probably weighed. Well, depends on depends who you on are. The 13 year old. I weighed 100 pounds in fifth grade. That's true. But um, it probably, looking at this kid, it probably weighed six to seven times what he weighs. Yeah. Um, it's actually a charter captain's son. Um, the charter captain, uh, Michael Tickle, runs a 67-foot Jarrett Bay uh, named Waste Knot out of Moorhead City. Um, that's actually where we do a lot of Albie fishing in the fall. <clears throat> but uh, this actually, this day, I think his boat is, you know, this time of year is kind of their off season. So I think he had his boat in for maintenance, it says. Um, so they took one of his friend's 28-foot South Ports, which is one of those super center consoles, um, you know, triple motors and all that good stuff. Um, just three guys on the boat, him, his friend, and his 13-year-old son. And they went 60 miles east of Beaufort Inlet. So 60 miles offshore. In a 28-footer. In a 28-foot boat. That's ballsy. Fishing 1,600 feet of water. Um, used a 20-inch eel bait rigged on 11-aught Mustad with a pink fathom skirt. It's like one of those offshore skirt rigs with mm-hmm. long bait. Right. Um, a Tiagra spooled with 80 pound braid 150 yards of 250 pound wind on leader and uh took them five and a half hours to land the fish 
Every time I hear like <clears throat> numbers like that getting thrown out, I can't even fathom it. I can't fathom fighting a fish for that long. I've never, I've never. Well, fought... It's like that that shark I fought in Myrtle. Yeah, I Myrtle mean Beach. Garden City. Yeah. Um, because that would be illegal. Yeah. Um, yeah, I fought that fish for three and a half per- hours on twenty pound. I you mean, drum pur- rod. You didn't purposely hook no, it. No, but you still. You hooked it on a surf rod I, fishing for a drum. With 20-pound mono leader. Right. And yeah. an hour and a half of that fight, the fish was 60 yards off the beach right there. Yeah, I, I don't. But still, that amount of fight, I could understand it more in 1,600 feet of water, though. It, well, yeah, it's a completely different ball game. But uh, I, I don't know if I fought a fish longer than 30 minutes. I mean, I haven't, I, I haven't caught a swordfish of that size and I haven't fished in 1600 feet of water but I just the crazy thing is like look at Jake Jordan and like those billfish he's catching on fly catching those on 20 pound leader and he's getting like 200 pound blue marlin to the side of the boat on fly in like 17 20 minutes yeah and then like the other side of the coin we have this lords of the fly book right here it's a big favorite of mine a lot of the guys fishing for those igfa line class tarpon Tarpon. they're fighting them for like eight hours and then breaking some of them off the six pound record they fought for like 12 hours through the night they hooked it at like dusk is that the one they fought like way offshore yeah they ended up they hooked it in like on a flat and they landed it like five miles offshore yeah i can't in a flat spot I simply Fuck. haven't experienced that. I don't know. My fishing isn't conducive to fi- fighting anything for that no. long. So they actually, this was caught during the day too. Really? Yeah. It was a daytime swordfish. It says fish took a few hundred yards of line on the bite. First off, there's, you know, 1600 feet of water and the fish eats and runs 200 yards. Yeah. Um, said never saw the fish initially, but after about an hour, we were able to get the weight off the line to make the fight easier. As I was getting the weight off, the fish jumped. That's another thing about swordfish. People don't realize these fish live on the bottom. Um, and then at nighttime, they'll swim and they catch these, they catch swordfish a lot at night on balloons with yeah. baits two feet below the surface. Yeah. I've seen I mean, stuff like they'll that. swim up and down 1600 feet in a day. Yeah. And then um, they say when you hook them, regardless of what time it is, swordfish jump like crazy. Yeah. And they say, especially if you have a big moon, the old, the old, you know, mm-hmm. salty tail about swordfish. They try to spear the moon. They jump and yeah, going towards the light. But uh, the other crazy thing is most guys that are deep dropping for swordfish are using electric reels. This mm-hmm. is a 13-year-old kid. He caught this on a hand crank. Dude's jacked. <laughs> He's probably or, still asleep. Or incredibly worn out afterwards. Yeah. that That's They got it to the surface within an hour to unclip the weight to make it easier to fight and right. then another four and a half hours to get it onto the boat that's nuts man i i just simply one i don't know if i've ever went offshore offshore fishing nothing comes to mind but i could not even imagine fighting a fish for that long let alone as a 13 year old so that's yeah, 165 inch total length 106 inch girth can you release those things like when you fight them for that long i think swords you can um, well, maybe not when you fight them for five hours. Yeah, um, there's got to be some like delayed mortality. With swords that. are tricky too because you're bringing them up so fast and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I've, like I've seen some articles about them where they they take you know when they decide it's time to come up to feed, it might mm-hmm. take them five hours to swim up. They swim so slowly. That's wild. But like, I don't know. It, it'd probably be weird with swords how deep they are. Yeah. Because I know those marlin, all the ones Jake catches, they granted they're catching them quick, but they release mm-hmm. all those fish. Yeah, I I I know like. At least sailfish, you can release almost all of them. 
I know those big grander marlin, they're all dead when you land them. Yeah, well, they, like, throw their guts up. Well, they fight till their heart explodes, typically. You see photos of them. It's, like, this giant pink thing hanging out of their mouth. I'm like, what? Is that the bait? No, it's literally their stomach. They uh, The other thing that happens with those marlin a lot, like, especially when they get up to, like, the northern half of the Atlantic, like, around the Azores, Mm -hmm. the Gulf Stream is so thin, they'll hook them in the Gulf Stream, and then the fish will run out of the Gulf Stream, and there'll be, like, a 30 to 40 degree water temperature change at, like, 100 yards, and they'll just die. That's great. Like, stunned himself immediately. Yeah. Well, you, we've talked about it a bunch of times. They get, like, spatially disoriented, so they like, swim into the ground at full yeah, speed. swim 20 it, miles an hour right into the mud. <laughs> yeah, and then get stuck. Yeah. That's crazy, man. That, that's We've talked about it last episode. Fishing has so many different genres. It's, it's just cool to hear stories like that. And I don't know. Maybe one day I'll get out there, but... It's a lot of money invested in offshore fishing. It's a lot of money that I don't have. I mean, so. Boats that are over a million dollars and thousands of dollars in fuel every trip. Yeah, it's it's That's a wild. whole different ball game. There's a reason why Michael Jordan is in the offshore fishing scene. Catch twenty three. Yeah, his yeah. boat name. Yeah. But anyway, moving on. Congrats to those anglers. Super impressive. Um, I I don't know. I I know I'm gonna look forward to that particular segment every time just because there's so many big fish Yeah, we'll get... never run out of no. stuff for fishing news yeah i mean big fish get caught every week and we love throwing the spotlight on those guys because every one of them is a huge accomplishment so why in the variety too you go from i mean we just talked about swordfish, swordfish burbish, bourbon, bourbon and smallmouth. Yeah. yeah and I, yeah, it's it's nuts but anyway we'll move on to uh what's new in fishing tackle and this week uh, Yak Tech, who we are affiliated with. The, Not really a tackle, but more of a gear thing. Yeah, but, yeah, tackle gear, whatever you want to call it. But um, they just unveiled their new kayak cart. Yeah, so, the Toe and Stow Bar Cart is yeah, so the name of it. It's pretty cool. We'll give you some uh, sort of dimensions on that guy. The uh, I'll just read down the list here. The rough MSRP at this point looks like it's around 250 bucks. Should be available in March of 2023. Um, the wheels are rubber tread, injection molded, and uh, there's going to be a like beach or sand wheel uh, kind of retrofit kit, sort of. Um, I think eventually the goal is to produce their own sand wheels. Don't quote us on that. Don't, but yeah, don't 100% quote us on that. But just knowing Yak Attack and their strive to make everything in america yeah um i think their initial plan is at least for this year to make a retrofit kit to fit the wheel ease or what was the other brand uh i don't know i don't know there's another brand uh cart popular cart that has beach wheels and i think uh their plan is to make a pretty simple retrofit kit to put sand wheels on it because right now the wheels that are planned on it are fairly thin they're like two inch wide yeah plastic wheels they resemble like sea tug wheels if you're familiar with that uh we i don't know if we've mentioned it in the last podcast or not but we come from a kayak fishing background and we've been on the actac team and a feel affiliated with the actac for feels like five or six years now we've been friends with them longer than that so everything's made in virginia which means it's made in america they make really great stuff this looks like it's going to be a modular kit so you should be able to buy replacement parts if you need them kind of 
like everything Yak Attack, it's going to be sort of Lego-ish, so you can sort of build it out how you want to, it looks like. But yeah, a uh, couple features I like, they they got away from a lot of these, you know, it's not a scupper cart where the the posts go through the scupper holes of your kayak. It's a it's a bar style. So most of the kayaks nowadays, um, pretty much all of them, I mean, I know every Hobie is like that. I know the Crescents are like that. I know most of the Jackson Halls are like that. Mm-hmm. Where they're almost pontoon style. Yeah. You have two wide areas and then more or less two tunnels that go through the center. Mm-hmm. I know all the bona fides, which is Yakatex brand or you know, affiliated brand. So basically the design of the card, instead of being a scupper card, it's two long bars yeah. that you can adjust the width and the length of. So the kayak will sit on the bars and the bars will sit mm-hmm. up in that um in those tunnels. So that's nice. And instead of uh other carts on the market having the padded foam or like rubberized foam down the, down the, uh, whatever you want to call them, the bunks. Um, this has two heavy duty, like rubber pads, mm. which is nice. Yeah. The rubber is more durable. Well, that and your, the rubber will grip like, better. Yeah. You don't have to worry about your cart sliding out. Yeah. That's kind of the biggest like complaint I've seen with kayak carts. It's just how, big of a pain in the ass they eventually end up being this one uh this one has a kickstand too which is a cool feature because it'll hold the cart flat Mm -hmm. while you put the kayak on it and then you kick the kickstand up to go yeah um the kickstand is not meant to like support the kayak or anything it's meant to strictly hold the cart in position while you're loading the cart so that's that's a cool feature yep and as far as its weight capacity it's uh should be designated to um, carry around the weight capacity of a fully loaded. Oh, hey, here's another thing 14. I didn't notice. Um, the bars can be rigged up long ways or perpendicular. Yeah, yeah. So you can sort of lay That's your cool. kayak across. So yeah, if you the have bar. like a really wide kayak, like a native Titan mm-hmm. or even like a Pro Angler 14. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you could lay it across the bars, set up perpendicular, or you can have the bars running long ways too. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's fairly modular, but um. Yeah, so the weight capacity, it looks like it's going to be rated for at least a fully loaded Pro Angler 14, which is the heaviest kayak on the market. Yeah. So it should be able to handle in all there, of your... In the models they have, it was holding a Pro Angler 14 fully tournament rigged, and this is a 3D printed model, mm-hmm. is what they were saying. So like the injection molded version is going to be even stronger. Yeah. So, so it's not a problem now. It definitely won't be a problem with the injection molded one. Yeah, so super cool stuff coming out of Yak Attack. We always uh, like getting that's to been talk something about they've been guys. missing for a while too. That's one of like the staple items in kayak fishing that they didn't have. So. Well, yeah, that and like what is on the market is a, it's not. There's not a super great product out there. I I know I have the Sea Tug right now, and I would rather just drag my kayak. Yeah. You know, they can be a little aggravating. The other feature that I did notice that I like is the mounts. The strap mounts are Mm -hmm. on the outside of the axle and the outside of the wheel. Mm -hmm. So instead of like a Sea Tug where your straps come from under the boat Mm -hmm. and then go over the boat, over the wheels. Yeah. So like after about a year that tire rubbing against the strap wears the strap out Mm -hmm. um these your straps are always on the outside of the wheel makes it a little easier to hold the kayak in place if you're going long distances you know if you're just wheeling it 100 yards from the parking lot you don't even need to strap it right but if you're going 100 couple you know if you're going a quarter mile through the woods down a trail or something that's that's nice to have yeah and what i can already foresee 
with this thing is um, since it does have that higher weight capacity and those bars can be run sort of uh, horizontal as opposed to perpendicular or no. Yeah, they can be run across the boat as opposed to in line with the boat. It, it allows you to put something like a smaller John boat on top of it as well. Yeah. So like, you know, a flat bottom 12 or 14 foot John boat empty weighs about the same as a PA 14, I would think. Yeah, I mean, especially so. when you're talking, you're not putting all the weight on the cart. Right. You're just putting the back half or whatever. Right. So, so it super uh, cool to see. Yaktex stays innovating, so it's another awesome product to hit the market by then. I know I've, I've been reading some of the comments on Facebook and stuff so far. Looks like the beach wheels are like a hot button topic for that, so yeah. I, I foresee them. John was pretty adamant about explaining what they were going to do. Yeah, yeah. So I foresee them attacking that problem and coming Probably up with a solution. First. Yeah, but awesome new uh, kayak cart from Yak Attack. Yeah to add to their lineup of uh, really great, reliable products. Made in Virginia, made in America, so you can't go wrong there. So our next sort of topic of conversation um, made a social media post and sort of opened up the podcast for potential topics or questions. And uh, our buddy John Hestalka, he's Fish Stalka on Instagram, he hit me up with a topic which I don't... You're it, personally versed. In. Yeah, it'll be pertinent that. to the conversation. Uh, there'll be some good stuff discussed here, but I'm pretty sure he was trying to rib me a little bit. It says, topic, how to remove a hook while on the water. So what he means is how to remove a fish hook from your flesh while you're on the water. And he has sub points here. Uh, how to be manly and not cry on camera. Uh, and what tools to have on board after care, which is entering interesting way to put that and prevention. So, uh, we'll just kind of go down that little list. Um, how to remove a hook while on the water. So unfortunately for me, I've had, I think three or four trouble hooks in my hands at this point, and they've all been pretty substantial trouble hooks, nothing small, no panfish hooks. The skitter walk one was the best one. Yep. I've had, um, multiple hooks in and around my palms and thumbs. And there's really two, there's, there's three options. You can either grab it with a pair of pliers and force it back through. That's the worst option. Yeah. So essentially you have one hole, you're grabbing it, you're twisting and you're making a new hole. I want to use this knife to get out the other knife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically it feels very, uh, Talladega Knights inspired, but you, you basically force the point, out from the inside, which I've had to do that one this summer, and it does not feel great. Um, your second option is yanking it back out the way it went in, which also sucks. And your third option is just cutting the hook off, and I assume going to the emergency room and getting. We call that the catfish barb method. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've had a variety of foreign objects in my hands while on the water. A catfish barb is one of them. Probably the worst one. Due to the risk for infection, you almost exclusively have to go to the hospital to get seen about. That way you don't get like locked jaw and die. So, but uh, I, I've done uh, 
every method other than going to the hospital as far as hooks are concerned. So this summer, I pushed one back out from the inside. You basically push it out. safety announcement from the hospital. (laughs) You don't do any of this. It sucks. (laughs) No, I I pushed the hook point out from the inside. It was in the meat of my left thumb, like the palm area. Um, And then you just clip the hook off past the barb and pull it back out. It's really not that big of a deal and it really doesn't hurt as much as you think it does it's probably the easiest of all the methods it's just the hardest to get your mind around yeah i i wouldn't say it's 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 probably the i don't know they all suck it's just you're then trying to break like the tensile strength of your palm skin and it's just very nerve hard to make yourself do it yeah so you know the that option isn't great, but it is an option. Hopefully you have a sharp hook. It makes it easier. Uh, like I said, your second option is ripping it back out the way it came, which Harley helped me with one of those. Immediately the line trick with the loop. Yeah, that yeah. you you ideally take the hook off the bait. You loop a line around the actual hook like the bend of shank the hook. that yeah. is in your hand or wherever it is on your body. Uh, you push down on the hook to try to get that barb back into the channel in which it came in you want to separate the barb from like the meat that it's probably dug back into yeah so you push down you put that bar back in sort of the wound channel and then you just pluck it out which doesn't feel great (laughs) all 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 of them kind of hurt but it's it doesn't hurt any anywhere near as bad as what you think it is it's more of a freak out situation so uh, that that then bleeds. perfect example is like when I was a kid, I had a nail stuck in my foot. Yeah, went to patient first, uh, or yeah, if you're listening to this from other places, they're urgent care, better med, whatever. It's a clinic, basically. Clinic, yeah. yeah. Went there, sat in the waiting room for an hour with a nail through my foot. Mm-hmm. Um, not all the way through, but it was in like basically right below my big toe. Yeah, and um, went there, had to get an X-ray and all that, make sure it's not touching anything. Yeah, and the doctor comes in. Um, has like a solution of saline and some stuff. And he's like, yeah, so the x-rays, uh, the x-rays kind of showed that it's a little close and <laughs> yeah. yanked it out while he was talking to me. And I was yeah. like, oh my God. And it was like two and a half seconds. It hurt really bad. And then yeah. it's over. Yeah. And you know, they told me don't walk on it the next day, but I had like no pain. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, so it turns out the x-rays are fine. You didn't have anything. Like, we're, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's always, it's always a mental game because yeah. you can't, it, Hopefully you're fishing with somebody when you do this because then you can get them to do it for you and you don't physically have to. Your brain just doesn't want to injure yourself. Yeah. So like I had to work up a lot of like mental instincts. Yeah. It's (laughs) like, hey, don't push this hook through your hand. You know, it is what it is. But Harley plucked one out of my hand in in Florida at like 3 a.m. We were tarpon fishing. Yeah, I was a Pensacola on it. Yeah, I got a skitter walk in my hand. Luckily, it was a brand new hook. There wasn't really that big of a risk of infection. And I wasn't about to go to the Florida emergency room at 3 a.m. Because I can only imagine that's a wild place to be. So we plucked it out and went back to the Florida man. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Multiple Florida men. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) his question, how to be manly and not cry on camera. It's really not that bad. I, I don't know. It's a it's way bigger freak out. And then as far as like taking care of it afterwards, hit it with a bunch of peroxide. Just kind of keep an eye I on mean, it. I mean, always have a. I always I have a first aid kit in yeah. my kayak or in my boat. So I mean, alcohol wipes, alcohol spray, any of that stuff. Yeah, you're usually pretty good with 
like fish hooks unless you're using some old rusty stuff which yeah. you shouldn't be if you're listening to it change right your hooks now, throw away your rusty hooks but you know yeah. that crankbait box that you've got 800 crankbaits in you're like oh i'll change these hooks one day do it yeah go to green top or go to your local tackle shop and buy we're good keep talking tons of uh <laughs> buy tons of hooks and replace them we got a it sucks uh, right it now. sucks to change hooks but it's a good thing to do in the winter when you're not doing anything else yeah Okay. Is it recording still? We have some minor technical difficulties, folks. <laughs> like we said, uh, working out the uh, working the out the, uh, in the bugs top right, right now. Top right corner. 70%. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Typical GoPro people. I, every other... Let's release a new camera every year, but not fix any of the problems. We're going to take a brief sidebar <laughs> bitch for a second. Every other camera I own works perfectly fine in every other scenario I have. At the end of our camera here right now, which if you're listening, you can't see it. But if you're watching, you're looking at me right now. This camera right here, GoPro, we're in an air-conditioned room. There's nothing extreme happening right now. It can't handle filming us for more than... The fact that GoPros are considered an action camera where if they get over 80 degrees or less than 60 degrees, they just don't work. Yeah, I I don't know. It just... They got all these videos of these guys going down like... Tahoe and yeah. going down all these ice mountains and yeah. snowboarding when it's like zero. To, that's bull. Yeah, they're I, using a different camera. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's just it I work. I have a particular like just thorn in my side with GoPro at this point because they always die at the most inopportune time. And every new model has less battery life, so yeah. you have to buy some sort of aftermarket battery kit. Yeah, I mean this GoPro, which is honestly probably the source of all these problems. Yeah, but. Well, this GoPro is plugged in to a direct power source right now. Yeah. It shouldn't even. It just cut off again. As I was talking, I watched it do it. Hit that top button again. It's hot. Okay, so we have a GoPro camera overheating inside of an air-conditioned building. So, is it hot? Okay. Well, I don't know. We'll let it run for a minute. You'll probably have to unplug that cord, actually. Yeah, just go ahead and unplug it. That might be Who why knows? it's getting hot. But yeah, so more- we make a new camera every year with 10,000 new features. Look, it's got hyper zoom. It's got active imaging. It's got, oh, look at this uh, anti, yeah. anti whatever. Oh, look, we've made the create the best camera ever. It films in 27K yeah. and now it's dead in four seconds. Yeah. You know, the battery life is like 10 minutes long. Perfect. Every year the battery life gets less and less. The camera quality gets supposedly better and better. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, by the way, if you want to buy replacement batteries, they're $78 a piece. Right. So you need 14 to film yourself putting your boat in. Well, it's also like a little sidebar here. Every time we go to the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel, every single time, yeah. like clockwork, we go out to try to film the Big drum. Big bull red, bull reds, red drum, whatever you want to call them. We go out to the bridge tunnel to try to f- fish for these things and film these things. And I have the GoPro set up every time. You're a mile to three miles offshore. There's rollers. It's combat fishing most of the time. You can't just. It's sit. not a place to mess with electronics. No, you need to hit play and not be able to worry about it the whole day. And I swear, as God is my witness, every time we're out there, it dies like clockwork. And it's either some sort of format. Either right when we start fishing, while while you're fighting a fish, or just whatever's the most inopportune time. Yeah. Oh, it's starting to get rough. Guess what? Camera dies. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've missed out on so much footage because of the GoPros out 
you know, trying to catch these red drum. And another thing, too, you have a camera that's prone to overheating and you make the case black. black. Like, yeah. what kind of sense does that make? It doesn't. So, I don't know. Anyway, we'll, we'll move on from the GoPro gripe right now. But, yeah, this camera we have at the end of the table, it's probably going to be a problem. We, have, we were filming for Snakeheads with David. The freaking GoPro overheated literally three seconds before I set the hook on a fish. Yeah, I mean, that like, that entire – it's amazing. We were filming uh, an episode for Have Rods Will Travel with Grant, David Graham, and myself for Northern Snakehead here in Virginia. wasn't overly hot. I think it was maybe an 80 degree day. It wasn't anything crazy. We had like three separate situations where the camera died and we caught a fish on the cast that the camera died on. Yeah. I mean, I I cast camera dies, twitch, twitch, goosh. Yeah. I spent the majority of the second day just messing with GoPros. It's amazing. We even got anything on camera. We did get one really, really good shot. Oh yeah. That big one. Yeah. Thanks to the actual camcorder. Yeah. The camcorder that was running. GoPros just, Get get yourself together. Like I don't I don't know. I'm tired of like pulling my hair out dealing with these things. So the thing is, like, it's just so annoying because they keep adding features. They keep making the cameras better. I just want a supposedly. camera that works. I, the The Hero Eight is a totally perfect camera. It's got really good photo quality. Fil, films in 4K. Has the um. It has the what is it the um. The vibration adjustment where it like oh, smooth, hi- hyper, hyper smooth. smooth. Yeah. Has all that. It's voice activated, which is the best feature they've ever put on it. Just yeah. telling the GoPro what to do. Yeah. That's awesome. But then it's got a screen on the back, which yeah. is great. The, the eight was like, as far as I'm concerned, that's the peak of I what mean, they've that's made. That's what this is right yeah, here. Exactly. I haven't had any reason to pay 400 bucks for no. a newer version of it. But All the new ones, like the features, yeah, it's the camera's getting nicer and all. But the worst part is the batteries are getting more expensive and... The camera's dying quicker. Yeah. Just make sure you're talking into the microphone. Who am I talking into the microphone? You sound 100% better when you're talking directly <laughs> into the microphone. It gets super echoey. That was the problem in our first episode. I I had the camera too far from my face, and it didn't sound as good as what it should have. But, yeah, I don't know. GoPro is just – if if I honestly felt I would like, be fine with it if they just made an external battery system that would work. Just anything at this point, man. I mean, if there was a – a camera that was legitimately like equivalent quality wise, because everybody you there's guys out there that use the problem is other... like the support network with the GoPro, like all the t- attachments and everything yeah. that you could get. Like, yeah, I mean, I know Garmin makes one. There's Tacticam, uh, Insta three sixty Tacticam. There's stuff out there, but I haven't seen anything that like touches the video quality, which with what we're doing is the utmost importance, but. The other side of the coin of that is if the camera it won't run, then it's useless. Yeah, it's a matter. brick. So yeah, I every time we go out to the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel, I, I try to get Grant to like film with me and do all that, and it's like never works. Cameras die almost immediately. We've it's, tried like eight times. Yeah, it's just so frustrating. But whatever. Enough so, on that rant. Yeah. Needless to say, we're gonna be replacing this camera as soon as possible. We're kind of working on a limited budget. Working on a limited budget. Please like and subscribe. Started. and uh... Yeah. <laughs> so subscribe to our non-existent Patreon. Just give us money. <laughs> yeah. uh, we I, actually have a, uh, uh, a... Send money to that P.O. box <laughs> I mentioned in the last episode. and Send that in my cowling if you happen to find... Actually, there's actually a uh, Have Roads Will Travel GoFundMe. Yeah. We don't have any money. Um, <laughs> anyway... 
just to wrap up the uh, hook situation. Actually, let me tell the story about that catfish bar because that had a lot of good points in there that uh, I, I think that's where Wayne helped you. With. Yeah, yeah. So Wayne Bradby, another local angler here in uh, in Virginia, uh, was on the water at the same time I was. I caught a very small channel cat. Probably November-ish. I really can't remember what time of year it was. It could have been summer. I know it was cold because you said it actually kind of helped that it was cold outside. Yeah, I think it was like October and raining, something like that. But anyway, uh, I catch a small channel cat, like half a pound. I go to like lob it back in the water, flips out of my hand and stabs directly into my palm. This is not a hook. This is a live animal. So a it barbed catfish barb proceeds to just chew up my palm. I'm like, I'm, I have now I have I'm basically handcuffed. I, I'm holding a catfish that is attached to my other hand. So I have both my hands locked on this fish and I can't do anything. I finally just squeeze the life out of it. I, I literally have to crush this catfish with my bare hands because it's in me right now. I had no other option. So I get the thing killed. I cut the the like fin off of my like I separate the fin slash barb from the catfish and then I'm like okay what am I gonna do? It's I couldn't come to like pull it out myself. Just couldn't get past that mental block. It was terrible. But I remembered seeing Wayne on the lake that day. It was getting in the evening. I was hoping he was still out there. I called him on Facebook Messenger, which is probably the only time that function has ever been useful. Most of the time, people are like, what the hell are you Most of the time, you accidentally are calling someone. Yeah, yeah. So Wayne, I'm sure, was surprised to hear from me on there. He answers. Luckily, he's loading up or about to load up at the boat ramp. So I start open-hand paddling. This is when I still kayak fished. Heavily in in a paddle kayak. So I paddle open palmed to back to the ramp. I explain to Wayne what my situation is, but he, I, I, cool. Thanks. Leave your phone on. It's fine. Actually, let me go ahead and mute mine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sitting here like if he didn't get a text. I literally, I know I'm going to get a call from my family at any minute. Um, But no, yeah. So I know Wayne didn't quite grasp how bad it was because his reaction to what I explained to him over the phone, his reaction when he saw it in real life was completely, completely different. different. Yeah. It's like, oh my God. I mean, it looked terrible. It looked, I was well, impaled. You had probably been bleeding for a while too. Yeah. yeah it's like a 30 minute battle. Yeah, it was, it was rough. So, I mean, this might as I well. Can't, that paddle had to be terrible. It was super great. <laughs> it's fine. But we get back to the boat ramp and Wayne's like, okay, I'm going to pour some iodine on this. We're going to take you to the, or you can go to the ER. I'll help you load up and all that stuff. And I'm looking at it and it's direct. It's straight in. Like, you know, what are they going to do? I'm looking, I'm like, they're not going to cut it out. They're not going to. They're going to do whatever we're going to do right here. Filet up my hand to get this thing out. I'm like, Wayne, they're going to do the same thing that I'm about to ask you to do. Just grab some pliers and yank it out. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm positive. What else is going to happen? I'm not going to like, they're not operating. I'm not, we live in America, so I'm not going to have a $30,000 healthcare bill because a catfish bar got stuck in my hand. So I, I worked up Wayne's nerves to the point where he agreed to do it. Just imagine Wayne like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, slapping this, himself. This, it was a pretty like intense. Does like a smelling salt. Yeah, 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 yeah. It gets hype, but uh, no. Wayne grabs it with the pliers and he starts to count. He's like, "All right, one." I'm like, "Wayne, Just do what?" It. Okay, something's up with this camera here. Can you? Can you? I don't know. What is it? What did it say? Hit hit the record button in the back. 
bear with us, folks. We're, we're, it's the big silver button on the back of the camera. Just hit it. What is what does the front say? Oh, great. We got a full memory uh, card. That's no big deal. All right, fine. <laughs> Just give us one second, folks. <laughs> Don't mind me. Apparently, I put the wrong memory card in it. Can you go ahead and just swap those out for me? Thank you, Harley, so much. <laughs> I highly recommend you watch this on YouTube if you just happen to be listening. If you can watch it on YouTube, I don't know. All of our cameras are failing at this point. <laughs> it might just be Spotify only right now. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know how to do it? Yep, you got it. It sounds like you're doing the right things. Try not to move the camera a ton because it is focused on me how I need it to be. All right, close it back. Is it in there? Hit the hit the play hit the but same button in the back. Perfect, perfect. We're good. Actually, hit that button again and turn it off and read how much time is on that card. What, what does it say on the front? Does it say anything? Perfect. Don't need it to. All right, just hit the play button. <laughs> See, that's why I asked you to be in here. I, I need you for technical difficulty. I'm not getting out of this chair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> back to the story. Um, Wayne proceeds to start counting, counting down. I'm like, Wayne, why? just pull it out. I don't want to know what it's going to happen. So he yanks it out. Bleeds a little bit. We squeeze the blood out of it and tried to get to the germs out. The, the good part of the story is coming. I drive an hour and 45 minutes back to Richmond. Went to patient first, which that is becoming a common theme if you're listening to this podcast because I had a finger that was falling off in our last story that we told We've last We've patient first three times in two podcasts. Yeah, bad things happen. Um, <laughs> anyway, I go to patient first. The doctor walks in. I explain to him the situation. He goes, huh, interesting. Catfish in your hand. All right, well, uh, be right back. I got to go Google what I have to give you. I'm like, ah, perfect. A medical professional going to Google. I could have did that. He's like, yeah, I really just don't have a lot of experience with waterborne diseases. Well, I mean, I guess that's the threat with dealing with catfish juice. He antibiotic. Yeah, well, yeah. He gave me what looked like a pill that goes in your butt. I mean, that was the size of it. I didn't do that. I they, I thought they tasted funny, but it was fine. <laughs> I ended up uh, taking them orally, and I don't know. Nothing ever happened, but it's just bad things happen if you go to the water enough. Eventually, you're going to yeah. run into situations like that. But that's probably the first time I've ever had a medical professional Google something. Tell me he was, I mean, that's, just blatantly. It's not the first time. It's the first time he's ever told you. Blatantly to tell me something. he's going to Google, and then comes back and is like, yeah, there's a of bad things that can happen to you. So I'm just going to give you the strongest thing we have. So needless to say, I didn't die from that and uh, life goes on. So that is my suggestion to you, John. Carry a pair of pliers, carry some iodine, a band-aid. Go to uh, Harbor Freight or Home Depot and buy a cheap pair of bolt cutters too. Yeah, I have a yeah. small pair of bolt cutters on my boat and on my kayak. Um Depending on what size hooks you're using, you're gonna probably need them. Yeah, if, if you if it's a heavy enough hook to go in your hand, you need bolt, bolt cutters. cutters. Bolt cutters. You can get a pair at Harbor Freight that you don't care about. Throw them in your boat yeah. for like five bucks. You're you never need them until you do. Yeah. So bolt cutters. You don't pliers. care about them until you do. That's the greatest purchase yeah. you ever made. Yeah. Bolt cutters, pliers. Also, they're not a bad thing to have if you've got a giant hook in a fish that you can't get out and you don't want yeah. to tear the fish up you can cut the hook and yeah get the bait i mean back. hooks are fairly cheap you yeah. know if, if you're really dealing with 
a fish that's big in like the musky world yeah for sure well a lot of those guys use bronze hooks because in case they you know do have to cut them out yeah well if they get them hung up too they're using such heavy line you're not losing your hundred dollar bait and then if they got to clip them it's no big deal but anyway, so we'll uh, continue on into our, I guess, main topic of this episode. Um, we're just kind of thinking of things to, to talk about. And uh, I suggested that we maybe discuss our... Uh, t- what is the problem? It's raining. Oh, it's raining. Okay. Thanks for stopping the podcast. I just heard, I was, I just heard it. I didn't think it was supposed to rain, did I? Hmm. Interesting. Should have been a weatherman. Could have just guessed. <laughs> Meteorologist, the only job where you can just randomly guess what the weather's going to be. And Anyone still that's keep listening it. to this that fishes knows exactly what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I would like to see the stats, the over-under on how many times a weatherman has gotten a fisherman Hi, I'm an attractive killed. blonde woman, and I know a lot about weather. All right, relax. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. It's just... It, it, it's a touchy subject for fishermen, which if you're listening to this, then you know exactly what we're talking about. The way you fisherman. judge weather for fishing is you take four or five apps, weather predictions, and you average them out. Yeah. And you're never going to be but so heartbroken because you're going to be close. Yeah. That's probably not be Zero that weather is usually five miles an hour. Five to ten is usually 25 plus. So. 15 wh- plus don't go. Yeah. Just stay <laughs> home. Read a book. But anyway, our... Uh, this list we're going to go down. We'll start from five to one. This is our top five favorite, I guess, fish species or, or scenarios. Yeah. We're just kind of doing it in general, but uh, I'll let you go first. Um, All right. My five, uh, I don't know if yours are in and out of the state of Virginia or not, but my five are all inside the state of Virginia. Um, Number just- five... Do you want to go down the whole list? Nah, just do one at a time. Okay. We'll just kind of discuss Number it. five, I said, was it's not really one species, but kind of like just a thing. Mm-hmm. Been doing it since I was a little kid. Always really fond memories of it and something you look forward to. Uh, is just like a day of shad followed by catfishing yep. and all that, that. That made my list. Did it? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Mine, uh, I don't know, something about it, like nothing overly difficult about it. Especially ever since we started doing like the drifting and stuff for the catfish yeah. in the kayaks. Yeah. Just something about it. Go out there. And I mean, I've been fishing for shad since I could stand up. Yeah. So shad fishing was my number four. So it, it's just, I I had a hard time with this list actually, even though it was my idea to do it. It's like, what well, really? If you're from this area, the thing with shad, people who don't know, we have migratory species of shad some people might be listening from a different area of the country where they're like who wants to catch a thread fin well, well california has like american shad all the time yeah. or, or washington they use them they haven't yeah. so prevalently used them for sturgeon bait up there yeah. so well hell they're legal to keep in jersey yeah right right, right but um so. anyway hickory and american shad they migrate up the rivers in the spring to spawn um oh, excuse me the, perfect that sounded great probably did the, uh, sorry about that folks the uh catfish big catfish big stripers you name it they all follow them up the river because they're just a migratory bait source um so you go out you whack on the shad all morning just catch as many of them as you want yeah and then keep four or five i try to always keep the males just to be conservation minded but Keep four or five male hickory shad mm-hmm. for catfish bait. Cut them up and 
go to town. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing, like the reason why it made both of our lists with all the fishing that we've done is just it's like the it's like the it's not the Super Bowl because it comes it's first. The so kick it's, off to the fishing. It's like season. the Daytona like five hundred really of yeah. the fishing. Season. It's the it's it's a bunch of fish all at once, a bunch of different variety. Everybody, everybody around here loves them because of most. I mean, we don't slow down fishing that much in the winter. Naturally, you fish less, but the fishing slows. Yeah, sure. But like a lot of people around the world put their stuff away when it gets cold, and then you go from zero to five hundred in one second. I mean, late March, early April, everybody's stirring, starting to get back into the game. And then it's like, bam, shed, get here. You can catch 100 fish a day and just massacre. Yeah, anybody, like, if you're in the mid-Atlantic region, well, they run the entire East Coast, but I would say Chesapeake Bay watershed probably gets some of the best fishing for shad in the country. But essentially, these saltwater species run up the river in about February, but they're not biting, and they're not in very good numbers. And once early to mid-March gets here, those water temperatures raise up to about 50, and 50 is kind of the magic number to trigger these shad to eat. They're not eating. They're striking out of aggression. Right, right. It's, It's just a pure reaction strike. There's so many fish in the water, and... I mean, you're talking literally billions. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, there's a. It's like of, a salmon run, mm-hmm. essentially. And we we grew up we grew up here in Central Virginia. We still live here, and it, the James River is unique in which it's a tidal river all the way up until our, until our capital city of Richmond, and then it immediately and very drastically shifts to a rocky to a rocky non-tidal river, relatively shallow in comparison. So these fish are. swimming for miles and miles from the ocean to the bay to the james and then up the james a hundred miles to the city and then they get there and they're immediately met with a wall and they bottleneck and they have to run them one or two at a time they that massive school of fish can't push all together and they usually can't push unless there's a ton of flow like higher a lot of times you're waiting they're just sitting there swimming in circles waiting Mm -hmm. for a spike in the river so you get some rain some in the spring, spring rain, yep. the river jumps four or five feet sometimes freaking 10 feet yeah and when the river comes back down a lot of times those first couple days that it's back fishable the fishing kind of sucks yeah because that wave of fish pushed up river mm-hmm. and you're waiting for another big ball of them to get bottlenecked right up against yeah. the rock so it's it's the abundance of fish, the kind of ease of fishing. Virginia, like... Not to mention, I mean, they fight like crazy. They yeah. fight hard. They jump. I they're mean, they're mini, literally a tarpon. Mini tarpon, yep. hickory shed is the close, is a direct relative mm-hmm. to a tarpon. They yep. look identical. They just don't get more than two pounds. Yep. Two and a half pounds. So it's, it's the coming out of the winter doldrums. It's the weather getting nicer. It's the trees going into bloom. And then it's <clears throat> millions of fish... You can literally catch them every cast if you really get into them. And then it's bait. So, you know, trying to get bait for catfishing can be kind of a pain in the tail sometimes. So it's easy bait for catfish. The deeper into the spring you get, the more big blue cats have followed that migration upriver. So you get big blue cats, big flatheads, and then, you know, we get... Pretty substantial striper. I mean, a 70-pounder was caught in the James. There's been multiple fish over 65 pounds caught in the James. 73-pounder, I want to say it was like 2012-ish, 2014, something like that. But So, yeah, there's giant striper that come up river too. So, it's just the the river is getting new life breathed into it. And it's just – it's 
everybody's out there. Everybody's firing their boat up for the first time all season. So it's just exciting. And if I fun. wasn't afraid my camera would get stolen, I would love to set up a camera at the boat ramp because you see some sights. Oh, yeah. It's, it's Jet skis falling off of trailers. Pure uh, entertainment the whole time. Like so. 30-foot cuddy cabin boats that haven't been started since last year. Well, remember, we had some guys float down on us at Anchor last year. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was a boat full of, like, five, six people. Yeah. It was just Within, like, five feet of your boat. Yeah, and then we were the problem somehow. How so. about the um, how about the uh, wastewater treatment? Or the, uh, no, the it was the uh, Porter John. Dumping company. Oh yeah, well yeah, that was years ago. That's not exactly going to be a highlight. Not but... a highlight, but you just talking about sites. So it is... the Porta John are like a septic honey, company. Honey dipper, yeah, is the appropriate term. The, well, the honey dipper, the dookie um, wagon, <laughs> dumped, was full. It dumped its contents on the boat ramp, and, and then it, the next day it was. It was a week of remember cars. the Astro van oh, trying yeah, to yeah. get up. There was an Astro van yeah, trying to pull a boat. It was an Astro van. It was a. It was a a team like <laughs> shag and wagon yeah. with a two wheel drive, very heavy car, very heavy van. Trying to pull a boat trailer. Yeah, those things have like big block motors in them. They weigh a ton. Trying to back a full fiberglass boat from like the 60s down to the water, and they hit that poop trail and just slid. <laughs> and, th- and then had to try and get back up the hill and slinging it everywhere. Dude, they, there was blue smoke. They were slinging shit <laughs> everywhere. So it was terrible. So, very, this just needless to say, it is a very interesting hey, time of year. Hey, Josh, be careful. That ramp's really slick. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've fallen in the ramp there almost immediately after Grant told me to be careful. It's just. It's just one of those things. It's a good man. time. Yeah, it, it's just it's a special time of year. Everything's coming to life. People are coming to life. Fish are coming to life. It's you know ninety nine percent of the time it's difficult. you got to witness it to understand it. But it's it's very deserving of being in the top yeah, five. It's difficult right. to catch fish here a lot of the times. And you're just, uh, what's your number five? Okay, I guess we're moving on. <laughs> we're moving on. Yeah, uh, my number five is just in general uh, drop shot bass fishing. I don't know. That's not on my list. You wouldn't. I do like fishing and drop shot though. I, I don't know fun. what it is. I I've got pretty decent at it early on in my fishing career, and it's just something that's like ingrained in my brain. It's something about just like sitting there working a bait, knowing exactly how it's moving, and then just that little tick you feel on your line. You're like, oh, I got him. It, it's it. And it is cool because you don't know what you got till you set the hook. Like, yeah. granted, that's every situation, but like. Every it seems like every fish hits it the same. Just yeah. like it's just num- a little, it's a little pop because yeah. it's it, such a small bait. They don't have to thump it. They just come up to it like no yeah. aggression. Just like mm-hmm. done. And it's just you know it's not like a moving bait where you feel the fish immediately. Yeah. You just you have that little split second in between, <coughs> in between when the fish bites and when you like set the hook on it. Yeah, you give them like half a second before you. It's load just up that on. little special moment of like I have this thing and it yeah. doesn't know I have it yet. So it's that it's being able to sort of pinpoint the areas you want to fish. Also, I like drop shot just because of the percentage of fish you land. You don't lose many fish on not drop really. shot. Yeah, not really. Very small bait, small hook, but mm-hmm. I mean, I I showed you that like the more power shotting and power mm-hmm. fishing a drop shot with a with a weedless hook. Mm-hmm. If you use the right hook, I mean, yeah, you might be fishing lighter line, lighter leader, but you can still pull on them pretty good with that style. Yeah. And those small hooks too, even with big fish, they don't throw them 
as easy as they throw like a spinnerbait. You yeah, know, they those small hooks you get them to pin, throw around. Yeah. yeah, you get them pinned. I mean, they they don't come off. They got to break you off. Yeah. So I learned that here in Virginia on some of our Clearwater lakes, and I was able to take it up to um, Lake Michigan and drop shot drop shot some of the like crystal clear Bahama water up there, and it's just it's crazy watching a five ish pound smallmouth come up and just inhale your bait. You're literally working it until he eats it. It's yeah. just really cool stuff. So that's my number five, just kind of a general thing, but yeah. you know, it's fun. Uh, my number four, and I don't know, it's pretty, it's probably the most exciting. Eh, I don't know. I, it belongs in the top five, but I could easily see it being number one at times, but either way, uh, I said the cobia in the bay and the big red drum in the bay when they're on bunker balls. Mm -hmm. That's a very late summer thing. Um, You start finding the bunker tend to work their way to the south side of the bay, the Menhaden, as you would call them. They're all over the bay, but some of the best actions on the southern side of the bay. And it's wild to see those. When the drum get on a bunker ball, it's just mayhem. I mean, it, it looks like. The world is ending. Yeah. It's just a whitewash until basically all the bunker are gone and the drum eat them all. So we have thunder. It is a thunderstorm on January 12th. Yeah. I don't know when you all are listening. Interesting. That's very rare for Virginia. (laughs) Yeah. It's Virginia. I even said when I got here, I was like, is January 12th? I'm wearing short sleeves. This is weird. We're in the land of mild weather here in the mid Atlantic. It's, uh, but yeah. La Nina. But, uh, (laughs) so the, uh, but yeah, the bunker ball thing, it's really cool. You get these huge balls of bunker that are like basically the size of a school bus. Yeah. And the drum just demolish them, but the cobia are pretty cool. You might only have one or two cobia, maybe as many as five on a bunker mm-hmm. ball. But it's cool because the biggest cobia will literally be inside the bunker. Mm-hmm. And when they, they come up and it's like a halo, you'll just, when you're in the tower watching them, you'll see the bunker just part. Mm-hmm. And then you'll just see this beach whale of a cobia that looks yeah. like it ate a beach ball yeah. just floating up because all he's doing is eating bunker. And then you either throw a bunker at it or a croaker or a jig. They're hard to catch when they're on the bunker balls because they're literally surrounded by bunker. Yeah. But every fish you pull off a bunker ball is big. Yeah. Like it's Well, it's also like I. you're coming from the aspect of like we don't have a ton of giant fish fish yeah like i mean have, that's two of the largest fish you can target in the state of virginia yeah so you're talking literal triple digit fish other than blue cats we're really not your, getting triple your digit most fish. realistic chance at a triple digit cobia is probably bunker ball fishing yeah, when they're at their fattest yeah. so they may not necessarily be a true triple digit fish yeah mm-hmm. they might weigh 100 pounds but it's really it's an 80 pound fish that's got 20 pounds of bunker in his belly yeah it's it's very proactive fishing too you're out there hunting them as opposed to yeah. like you're engaged An- anchoring the whole up time. with a chum bag and just waiting on them. That's more catfish. Yeah, you could give me a list of a hundred options and chumming for cobia would not yeah. be. Yeah, you're you're catfishing at that point. But yeah, well, that's a solid number four. Like I said, my number four is shad fishing. So I'll go ahead and skip to my number three, which is uh, fishing for bowfin. I just it has all of the good things that I enjoy. It you don't have to be super stealthy. You can kind of power fish. You can throw your top waters, your spinner baits. You don't have to get super complicated with It's like adrenaline junkie fishing. Yeah, you're literally There's nothing boring about bowfin fishing. No. Ever. You're tying sixty five pounds. Unless you're like Dave and you catch them on bait like a loser. Yeah, David Graham, what an idiot. <laughs> 
just kidding. No, David's got some insane bowfin. The now thing is, he catches giants. Some yeah, it's it's not even fair. But it uh, bowfin fishing up here is everything. It's all the good parts of fishing. You're taking 65 pound braid. You're tying it directly to a super noisy buzz bait. You don't have to worry about leaders. You don't have to worry about being quiet. You can listen to music and you're just pounding the pad lines hunting these things down and when you find one that's hot it's not gonna there's miss nothing you can stop like no. th- that fish would eat through a nuclear explosion yeah like, it, there's nothing that will prevent that bowfin from eating yeah when he decides it's game time it is 1944 and a german u-boat has just <laughs> launched a torpedo at your bait it is you're done it is insane they they lock on and they're not giving up so this, those fish possess like i've told people about it before and you don't realize it until you see it those fish possess an unworldly amount of speed yeah for 15 feet yeah the the amount of time it takes them to go from zero to death like killing machine is less than blink of an eye like those fish are nuts it's also funny how like effective they are at hitting a bait tracking and hitting a bait when you compare that to a snakehead which is roughly the same shape, yeah. roughly the same sort of attitude when it comes to... I think a lot of that is... I think snakeheads also, a lot of the bites, they attempt to wound a bait yeah. rather than a bowfin is like, you're dead. Yeah. Like, I am killing you. Bowfin are hitting things to, like, stun them. Yeah. So, But a lot of that probably has to do with the bowfin evolved here. The snakehead evolved, you know, in Asia where... Literally thousands of miles away. They're hitting a completely different type of bait, but... Yeah, both and fit. And then the other thing, too, is like you're going to a part of Virginia that is it not very true. You take a couple turns and you're back in time. It's yeah. not like fishing central Virginia where there's a bunch of people around or the well, I mean, crazy thing is you can catch them in the city, too. They're they're yeah. available to everybody. I mean, you yeah. can catch these fish all over the place. They they'll they're one of the most adaptive fish ever. I mean, mm-hmm. they're literally 200 million years old. Yeah, I mean, I've so. caught them. I've caught them in 20 foot of water down by the beach i've caught them in downtown richmond in the rapids and then we catch them in the tidal marshes so but yeah i'd say the tidal I've caught marsh them on little like smallmouth rivers on poppers yeah i mean they're all over the place they're yeah. they're a very very cool fish i could not recommend targeting them enough they're uh if you don't like bowfin then we don't like you so <laughs> yeah i mean uh, if we're going there all right. no, no, it's just you. if you're a sport fisherman if you enjoy fishing for the reasons you should enjoy fishing, like the actual fun of the yeah. hunt, there's no reason why you don't enjoy bowfin. Yeah, yeah. If you're conservation, my expensive bait. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if you're worried about that, don't go near bowfin. They're about five bucks a pop. On I made a, I made a post baits. like that a couple of years ago with one of those real gnarly ones I caught. It was like, mm. if you're a bass fisherman who complains about a bowfin breaking your crankbait or wrecking your spinnerbaits, like you're especially in Virginia, that bass isn't native here. Yeah. That bass is in the bowfin's house. The bowfin is not in the bass's house. Yeah. Like you are fishing where bowfin live. Yeah. You got to pay to play. <laughs> like yeah. you're, you got to pay the tax man in salt water to the, to the shark. Yeah. The bowfin is the shark. I will gladly spend $5 on a booyah buzz bait. Oh. If it equates no to catching a bowfin. So I don't know. That's just, that's my number three. I get a lot of enjoyment of the solitude of hitting those, 
tidal marshes and getting out away from people and just experiencing just there's a glimpse. There's something about that contrast too. Like you're in the most like peaceful, quiet, just unpopulated mm-hmm. place. And then out of nowhere, it's like pandemonium erupts because a yeah. bowfin just destroyed something. Well, it's also that. And like, if you take the time to really let your mind envelop the situation, it's like there's people living every other place you go in Virginia, other than these creeks and these rivers where those pads and like this water and this Unchanged. species has been there for millions of years. Yeah. And in those millions of years, nobody built a house right here. Nobody, yeah. you know, you're literally seeing what was there when John Smith. Yeah. Discovered the, discovered everything like, okay, or well, went, not discovered. Sorry. First off, you're ignoring our indigenous peoples. John Smith. I apologize. <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, it's super easy. When these see. guys were, when our country was founded, there every one of these rivers looked the go. same. Save it. There you go. Perfect. There okay. You go. No, just kidding. I don't know. It's it's easy. I mean, well, for instance, so I'm looking for a new podcast. <laughs> and Grant's camp free perfect. agent. <laughs> well, no, I mean we're joking, but there's literally the Pamunkey and the Mattapani Indian tribes. I I've been bowfin fishing and heard like a war chant going on. It's I don't know. It, they they're still practicing Native American tribes. In the tidal sections of Virginia, I mean, half, and half of the rivers we fish are named. I mean, all of pretty much all of our Mattapama, rivers, Ma- Mattapani, Mattapani, Pamunkey, the in the Potomac, named after. Uh, I would say, not so. sure Do about not that. Quote me on that, but the Rappahannock. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all, tons all, of our rivers in the state are named after the native Indian tribes that inhabited the area. Right. So, super cool. You're fishing for a fish that was here prior to mankind, essentially. Yeah. So it's. Pretty neat stuff. But anyway, your number four? Uh, number three. Number three. What is your uh, number, a number three? three was the Bridge Reds in the mm-hmm. fall. Yeah. Um, I th- That was potentially. You do not have a good time. I, I you don't. That, that I, doesn't deserve to be on your top five because I've never heard you complain more than. <sighs> I'm not yeah. having a good time. Hey, Josh, how you doing over there? I'm hallucinating. <laughs> I, I have some emotional. Or so, so I wrestle with it. I Some of Josh's worst days of his life took place at the Bay yeah, Bridge. So yeah, well, we've almost died together there twice. Yeah. And probably more than that. But at least it seems that way. I don't know. We, uh, the, the they, one time in particular, we went all the way to the island and we were like, well, how's everybody leaving? And one dude's like, hey, uh. Just uh, give you guys a heads up. The weather's about to change. Tide's going to turn. We're like, yeah, you know, we've probably got a little time. You know, we'll be all right. And we're like, oh, let's just fish our way back. And no. if you know, you're three miles. Fishing your way back is not a quick task. So we were at like the second channel, which is about two and three quarter miles from the beach. And I'm like, it's getting a little big. Yeah. And Josh and I were paddling our way back. And at one time, we were 15 feet apart. And in between the waves, we could not see each other. Yeah. It, it's... We, these were sketchy. four and five footers that day. Yeah. So essentially bad. to fish for these reds, you're going up to three miles out in a kayak, a plastic boat. And it's one of those situations where we go back to the weatherman deal, the meteorologist. They'll call for one thing. It'll be completely different. And the wind out there. All changed. it is, all that matters out there is wind direction. Yeah. I mean, if they miss the wind direction by yeah. 20 degrees, like at an, at an angle, yeah. you, you could screw your whole day over. Yeah, so needless to say, we've had some challenging times out there, and I, I've since I'm coming around to it. I just still struggle with how much of a pain in the ass it is. I'm, I don't know. I don't. It's, I mean, it's not an easy. Th- it's a drag through the sand. Yep. Not anymore because we'll have our Yakutat cart with beach wheels. Right. Uh, but um. Put that in there. Yeah. <laughs> Available in March. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um. Yeah, it's usually. I mean, it's the drag is miserable. 
Um, the one good thing about it is it takes five minutes to get your stuff together for this. You need like three rods. Yeah. You need a rod for a jig. I like to fish live bait some, so I take a bait rod and a rod for a live bait rig. Yeah. And um, the live bait has really become one of the reasons why I love it. Um, the jig bite is cool, but really you don't feel them thump the jig. You know, you, you're jigging a big, gr- a big grub, big paddle tail, whatever, next to the pilings, big yeah. bucktail. And a lot of times you're ripping it up, dropping it, ripping it up, dropping it, and then you go to rip it up and it just stops and there's yeah. weight there. But that live bait, that yeah. bite is, I mean, you're talking a 50-inch redfish, a 12-inch croaker, bluefish, whatever yeah. legal bait fish you catch. Yeah. it's it, it. The cool thing is you're out there fishing for croakers, spot, whatever bait fish you can find. You catch it, and you're like, that's a bite. Like, yeah. that is a guaranteed bite. Yeah. You drop it next to the pilings, and it's, I like the efficiency of the live bait because you know if you drift that live bait next to the piling, you don't get a bite, yeah. he's not there. Right. And when you're talking braid... A stout rod, yeah, and I mean it's it's the most bone jarring, yeah, thump you've ever felt in your yeah, life. Slamming it, yeah. Just to clarify, we're talking about taking a plastic boat, a kayak, three miles off the beach, three miles off the beach potentially, into the Chesapeake Bay, essentially she, the ocean. You're, you're, yeah, I mean, it might as well be, but you're two miles in a straight line from what would be considered the Atlantic Ocean. You're jigging bridge pilings as you're constantly getting battered up against them, chewing up your boat. There's the potential for hitting them two and flipping to, them. Two to three mile an hour current up to like five mile an hour current on like a really heavy current day. There's the potential to flip almost all the time if you're not careful. You know, you could hit that bridge in a funny way and then you're toast. We're having some more technical difficulties with our main camera. Oh, look, the GoPro's not working again. Shocker. Let's see. GoPro, we're accepting sponsorship. If you really love the uh, thr- the um, okay. stunning review we're giving you. I think it just died because we unplugged it. Hit the top button again one more time. Is it recording? Red button, is it coming on now? Okay, we got Harley messing with it. Are you seeing a screen on the back side? Hit the side button for me. One second, folks. The side button inside the case. It's not coming on? Shocker, the GoPro's not working anymore. That's fine. I mean, we have two other camera angles. We'll just ride it out with that. Apparently, it's hot. Thanks, we might, GoPro. We might give it a few minutes and try it again a little bit. Yeah, you're probably listening to this. Anyways, probably not. You don't even care. Um but anyway, as I was saying, you, there's the potential to flip your kayak if you're not careful because you're getting beat up against I these mean, pilings. in reality, it's a pretty dangerous fishery. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking fishing a golf course pond for bass versus Out of that, all the stuff dangerous. we fish for, like, regularly, it's yeah. probably the most dangerous you, thing we you, do. You definitely have to be on your toes. Yeah. But you're doing all that jigging baits to potentially hook the largest red drum in the entire world. We're talking... A 75-pound red drum is not like, yeah. not even close to unheard of. Yeah, you're you're talking roughly 50-inch fish. I mean, these are huge. Red I mean, a, and the other thing, a 50-inch Chesapeake Bay red drum weighs 20 pounds more than a 50-inch Gulf like, Coast right, red right, right. drum. So these I fish mean, are massive. It's combat fishing at its highest level. Yeah. You're you're fishing in a very uh, tumultuous situation for a, a giant fish, and it's uh. It's just an incredible thing to do. Our buddy, I'm going to give him a shout out here. Uh, 
Kevin Whitley, Kayak Kevin. Kayak Kevin, the OG on Instagram, or Drum Jesus, or Whitewater, Whitewater Whitley. Whitley. He's got so many nicknames at this point, but he is the pioneer for fishing these big red drum out of the kayak on the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. This dude's tunnel. been doing it for twenty years. He's our buddy. He's More an OG. He's he's one of the most hardcore dudes. That I mean, hell, they pioneered this met. doing it in these shoals. Yeah, the I, videos he has. He has this whole Chesapeake yeah. Bay uh, kayak fishing Chesapeake Bay. I believe it's one on, and two. It's, it's all on, on YouTube. Yeah, they're yeah, all on, on YouTube, YouTube now. You can look him up, Kayak Kevin Whitley on YouTube. He's um, anchoring up a kayak in shoals. Right. In, they don't do breakers. this anymore. Yeah, <laughs> this I is mean, when they were learning this. You know, in the spring, in the fall, these drum congregate around our shoals in the bay. And these guys were anchoring up essentially mere like 10 to 15, sometimes 20 yards away from the shoal. Yeah. On an anchor that's on a float, casting a bait into the shoal because yeah. the drum like to feed in the shoals. Mm-hmm. And then when you hook them, your goal is to try and fight the fish out of the shoal, and when it gets out of the shoal, then you come off your anchor and fight the fish. But, I mean, there's videos of these guys going up 8- and 10-foot-tall waves nearly vertical, and you see, I mean, they're going so steep that stuff is falling out the tank well of the kayak. <laughs> it's it, yeah. it's nuts. I mean, the, the fishing these guys were doing, I mean, before it was cool, I guess you could say. It was unbelievable. Yeah, that, him and his crew of guys back then, we're talking probably early to mid-2000s, doing that out of a kayak is probably one of the top three most hardcore things I've ever seen. It is, And the fact that they were filming it. it, it the w- cameras they were using. I, Kevin... Kevin should be paid to fish. Kevin should be the guy that is on television. He is as good, if not better, than yeah. 99.9% of all these like YouTube guys. Yeah, and you'd never know it because he's the coolest dude ever. He's but, chill. He's doesn't, he like doesn't care, I yeah, feel like. Yeah, but he yeah. is. Yeah, but I don't know, man. I love Kevin. That, that, he's a good dude. Fishing the Red Drum in the Shoals is some of the coolest shit I think I've well, ever seen. The fact that we're even talking about all this is because of Kevin. We wouldn't even know about it yeah, if it right. wasn't from his right. stuff. So like, check out Kayak Kevin on Instagram. Follow his stuff. Check out all that fishing that we were talking about. He has a Kayak Fishing the Chesapeake Bay Volume 1. We're going to hopefully get Kevin something. to do some stuff for the website, too, and yeah, we might we'll, get him in on one of these or something too. We'll, yeah, we'll cool. see what he's in for, but um, check that out if you haven't already. But yeah, so <laughs> I back to me hating it. I yeah. when I first started doing it in, in like 2015 or whatever, I was literally driving down to the beach in the middle of the night, not getting any sleep, taking Dramamine because I get seasick, and then throwing a Red Bull on top of that, and then trying to do what we just described, which is incredibly technical, and, like, you got to be on your toes. I'm literally sitting there. He's taking Dramamine, which makes you drowsy, and then cranking Red Bull. On no sleep taking Dramamine. I think it was five-hour energy at the time. I was hallucinating. I was actively hallucinating on the water trying to do this. There were times where I witnessed Josh, after he landed a drum, like, floating away from the bridge, and he sat in one place with his hands in front of his face like he was trying to retie a knot. Yeah. And it was like a five-minute period where he just didn't move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just actively, I've, I've, I've actively fallen, dying. Falling asleep with my eyes open. It is It is just 
you get your ass kicked the whole time out there. The only thing yeah, is, is the constellation of a giant fish, which once again, in Virginia, you only have so many species where you can catch huge fish. It's inside. realistically your best chance at catching a giant fish in the kayak. Yeah. Are those big drum yeah. spring so, and fall. It, it's, that is a solid number three. I, I mean, that's truly one of the best kayak fisheries in the world too. And it's one of the most yeah. challenging things in the world too. I mean, you're hooking these drum. We didn't even talk about the fact that you're hooking them in the pilings. Yeah. And now have to fight a fish yeah. that is freaking huge, insanely strong. Literally weaving in through yeah, the Yeah, I mean, there are times where you pull this fish through three and four piling sets. Yeah, there's that. And, like, you hear the adage that a kayak can go places that boats can't. And we've it's a meme at this point. Yeah. It's kind of a joke because, you know, a boat can pretty much go anywhere that you want a kayak to. But... Truly, this is a true situation where the kayaks have the upper hand. You, you cannot recreate this fishing with a boat. You can yeah. hook the fish, but no. as soon as the fish yeah. goes through the piling, you're done. Yeah, you can actually chase them through the pilings with the yeah. kayak, which is what makes the kayak take precedence in this situation. Yeah. So. It's one of the most technical big fish styles right. of fish. I mean, it's just everything about it is difficult, and it makes it that much sweeter when you catch one. So. Right, right. So my number two would be... Uh, Flathead catfish in general, and then flathead catfish on artificials, which... Strangely enough, that didn't make my top five. Yeah? Okay, I, well, it should have, but I, I had other stuff. Flathead are... I fish for a lot of stuff. We all we both fish for a lot of stuff. But flatheads are by far my favorite fish species. I cut my teeth on them in high school. That's why I learned how to fight and land big fish was on the flatheads and the flathead population we have here in Richmond. So I love those. I want to try to break the Virginia state record flathead of 68 pounds. Eventually, eventually I'll devote one the time. kind of honed in on to like know where the fish is. Yeah. It's just putting the time in, which is like yeah. the majority of fishing, but catching them on, uh, artificial baits. So, you know, they get congregated in certain areas in the springtime. It's the cat's sort of out of the bag at this point, it feels like, but there's a lot of guys doing it, but we've been doing it for a couple of years and going on 15, 15. It's know, like it's our third, it's our 13th year this year doing it on, not on the artificial mm-hmm. side. Okay. Well, <laughs> either way, it's just, <laughs> it's, we've been doing it a long time. It's one of those things that like you're used to catching them on live bait or cut bait or whatever. But when you're throwing artificial baits and you're working it, it goes like with that drum thump the way they hit that yeah thing. they nail it. it you know it's just one of those deals you're, you're working it like you're working a bass jig and all of a sudden you get slammed by a 30 or 40 pound fish there's not a lot of scenarios i'd say they fight like crazy that that scenario with that species richmond is probably the only place in the entire world where you can do something like that with flatheads yeah. so it's at least congregated that time of year and that sort of thing so super fun that made my number two on the list i, I don't know i mean that's They're about a fun a... fight i mean with the way they use the current and mm-hmm. how like you're catching them waiting and stuff like that it's a the, it's a cool fish the, and you can get if you take the time you can get really cool photos because you're literally way steep with these fish the majority of the places people catch flatheads is muddy and they, they get and... really cool looking this time that time of year they get them yellow spots all over them and yeah. stuff yeah well they're they're prepping for the spawn they're getting really fat yeah. they're eating heavily that they, they, they get that camo like that digital camo modeled color look yeah. and then you're catching them in shallow clear it's like water. the only I mean, time of year that they look genuinely healthy because yeah. a lot of times when you catch them in the summer time they just they're skinny they're they, like they emaciated. yeah they get beat up there there's not a lot of of 
there's not the same amount of food upriver as yeah. there's downriver for like the blue cats. So when they you catch them up in the rocks, they get beat up. Summertime's hard on them. Winter gets yeah. or the summer, the the weather gets really hot. The water gets really hot. There's a bunch of people noodling them and stuff. They go through it yeah. all the rest of the year. But that time of year, they're coming out of the winter. the The water's warming and up. It's they're clean during shad season. So they got all that food. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's pretty cool stuff. So that was my number two. I, I don't know. Mm. If, there's not much else you can say about it. It's yeah. Big catfish on casting gear is pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, my number two was the grass line uh, snakehead bite. And that also kind of goes in with bowfin as well. Yeah. Um, late summer, our, uh, most of these creeks we fish for snakehead on, they get a really, really thick, hard grass line on them. Mm. So um, at the very peak of the high tide in the summertime, you might only have six inches of water above the grass. Where at, you know, two hours after high tide, all the way through the falling tide, you've got an almost vertical grass line right next to the channel. And uh, one of my favorite ways to fish for them is fish a moving bait, um, either just under the surface or a top water, right next to the grass line. And the funny thing is, if your bait's more than two feet off the grass, they won't bite it. They won't yeah. come out. But if it's right on the grass, you'll see these fish come out of the grass. And it's really visual because that time of year, the grass is peaked, so the water's the clearest it's going to get. And even though the water's pretty much the hottest it's going to get all year, the fish just – those are the days you can go out there and catch 30. Yeah. Like if if the – grass line is right if the tide's right if it's not too windy mm-hmm. they just stack up on those grass lines and you can get into a 200 yard bank and just keep going back and forth in lines and just massacre them yeah and it's a really good time to catch a giant yeah like, yeah snakehead snakehead didn't make my list just because both in did and like, yeah. i treat them the same but yeah that it's the same deal you're fishing for these fish in in tidal rivers around pads i mean it's Super fun. Yeah. You, the you, grass line stuff is just one of my favorite ways to do it. Throwing like a jerk changer on the fly rod and watching that, that fly dart back and forth right next to the grass. And yeah. then you just see a head come out of the grass and just yeah. T-bone it. I mean, it's my top two are both like super visual things. Yeah. So like I, I like sight fishing. And while you may not be strictly casting at a fish that you see, mm. when you get to see a bite like that, and there, it's it's the most vicious bite you get from those fish all year yeah. long. Well, it's that, and given the way our snakehead population is now, you're literally any cast could be the new world record. Yeah. I mean, that fish is out there. It's just a matter of if you're yeah. going to be ready for him when he shows up. But yeah, that that's a super solid number two. I that I kicked the can around on that one of whether that's the bite i wait for all year because like a lot of people struggle in august yeah and they're all man snake it by the grass is getting too thick i'm like game time if you know you know right so i have a couple honorable mentions i didn't tell you to do this but I'll, i'll mention a couple honorable mentions before i go to my number one um i got i got a couple that i just thought i'll well musky fishing Super awesome, super thing. Yes, yeah. fun thing to do here. I I have I don't do it anywhere near the amount that I should. It's for fun though. A self-respecting big fish hunter, but uh, musky fishing, trout fishing was one that really. I, I I'm just using generals because you know I don't really care my rainbow brown brookie whatever. But being able to physically see the fish you want to catch, yeah. you don't get that a lot 
and, and then just trout don't live in ugly places. The good old saying, right. trout fishing always takes you somewhere nice. Right. You're up in the Blue Ridge. I'll say that's one of my own Crystal clear water. Too. You mess around, you might catch a world record fall fish. You never know. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, trout fishing just because. If you, you're lame. Yeah. <laughs> if you the, the mighty minnow. If you're one of those self-obsessed people that care about records. <laughs> what a loser. No. Um, but yeah, the. the just being able to sort of pick out the individual fish you want to catch is a super special thing. And then crappy fishing bridges and structure, this, that, that didn't make it because shad fishing was on there. Just being able to catch fish after fish after fish yeah. and, and really hammer fish like that. It, it's about a bedding shell crackers. Mm, yeah. That didn't make my list. I don't know. Panfish are cool, but it, I shell crackers on a fly rod is wild. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Shellcracker the old Andy special. Oh yeah, Shellcracker could have made the list. Um, but my, uh, yeah, those are just my honorable mentions. I haven't said my number one yet. My number one, fishing for alligator gar. Go figure. He probably couldn't have guessed that one, but just I don't know. Texas is its its own animal. It's super cool part of the country. There's big fish down there. It's kind of like the bowfin. It's still pretty wild. You're absolutely miserable. You're getting your ass kicked the whole time, but it's the only thing in the country. It's it's our premier freshwater mega fish. You know, we have every stur- continent has one. Pretty yeah. much, we have sturgeon, and sturgeon are cool. But just, I mean, we have something the about the alligator gar on the table right here. Just fish with teeth are the, cool. The <laughs> seven to eight foot fish with teeth. And and just knowing that you're you're doing some Jeremy Wade shit and you're getting out there yeah. and you're you're like trying to hunt down these prehistoric giants. I don't know. It just touches me in a special way. And then just roughing it and staying in a little ten by ten cabin on the bank of the river and and staying there for a week, not having cell you're service. Like miserable fishing on the baby. It's one hundred and forty degrees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're eating chicken in a can. You're you're eating uh, raviolis that you are scooping out with the lid of the can. I don't know. It, you smell it's 140 I mean, degrees, and every bank is nine foot of mud. You smell like carp. You have uh, mud caked in your leg hairs. You come back with basically s- silky smooth legs because you rip out all your hair trying to get the mud out. Uh, you stay on the river too late at night. Uh, the plague shows up, and you get tarred and feathered with what I guess were white flies. You you literally get thousands worst thunderstorms in the world. Worst thunderstorms in the world. I mean it. It is. It is hell, but it's all about the mindset you have. And I am a glutton for punishment. Well, that's why so. those fish live there too. Yeah, I mean, you're big just... big fish live in scary places. Yeah, like like I said, we're if you want to do that, the guide's the best way to do it. But if you want a one of a kind experience, get out there and get your ass kicked for about a week, yeah. and then hope you catch a fish. That's, I don't know, it's unique. But that was my number one. So I, I I think anybody that knows me isn't surprised by that. So I'd like to hear your number yeah, one. My uh my number one is it's pretty far and above them of the rest of them just because it's so incredibly fun. Right. Um. Do you have any honorable mentions you want to mention um, before? Honorable mention would be I'll tag team with your trout fishing. I like brook trout fishing. Mm. Um. You haven't really spent a whole lot of time doing that, but like. Right hiking miles native brookies specifically virginia um fun fact has more native brook trout by stream mileage than any other state in the entire country interesting so there you go um yeah hiking miles into a stream that's only as wide as this table in some places and knowing that there's fish 
that have been there since the beginning of the ice age and yeah they've evolved i mean they're essentially roughly the same species as arctic char they're just mm-hmm. a species of char that got trapped in this area of the world right so they evolved to be six to ten inches long and live in a stream like that i mean right. it's it's just really cool there are native there are state fish so a little special place for them right um bedding shell crackers on fly rod it's like redneck fly fishing but it's very is niche fun very niche dude when you're using a fiberglass three-way i use the same rod i use for six inch brookies and you hook a 12 inch shell cracker it's like hand lining a great white yeah, <laughs> it yeah, is yeah. it is insane I hear you. folding the rod to the cork right um the other would be uh big swim bait bass fishing mm, don't yeah. do it as much as i should but something right. about it's a lot like musky fishing just you Looking know you're fishing one for one or two bites yeah. maximum right um but the fish that bites is the one you want right um that would be my honorable mentions uh number one though is sight cra- sight casting the belly crawling reds mm, yeah pups like the i could have guessed that 20 to 30 inch reds i mean here in virginia we have a very iffy fishery for them the years that it's good we i will challenge anybody the years we have good years we have the best red fishing on planet earth when it's good i mean there is no comparing it our fish are dumb that's the that's the one thing you go places like mosquito lagoon they have unbelievable red fishing every year but the fish are extremely pressured they're extremely intelligent they're very hard to catch they get an education done. yeah um, same with the Gulf Coast Reds. There's mm-hmm. tons of them. You catch thousands of them, but they get very tough at yeah. certain times of the year. Whereas in Virginia, our, I mean, I've, I've talked to dozens of guys who fish for them everywhere. They say Virginia, North Carolina red fishing, when it's at its best, it's yeah. the best in the world. Right. Um, we catch them just like you do in everywhere else. I mean, six inches of water, you're pulling a flats boat, sometimes a hundred yards to one fish. You see one fish in the back of a creek and yeah. – the sun shining on him, his back looks like a mirror sticking out the water, and you're like, that's him. I want him. Yeah. You pull all the way to the back of the creek, and then you blow your shot. And it's like, damn. Yeah. But Sucks. then when it does happen, and you get all the way to the back of the creek, and you're like, okay, you lay the fly down six, seven feet in front of the fish, couple twitches, and he sees it and just pounces on it and crushes it. That's yeah. the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, you're fighting a fish the entire time you're landing the fish. His back never goes underwater. Yeah. Like that is epic well it's also cool because you're hitting that whole life cycle of that species yeah that's the cool thing about virginia you literally can in the summer you can fish for the babies Mm -hmm. and then in the spring of the fall you're fishing for what they're eventually going to turn into yeah you're catching a red that you can hold in one hand and then two months later you're catching a red that you can barely hold in your lap yeah yeah so you're catching a fish that if released properly in a 10 years time will be a giant you're getting them out on those bridges like we're talking about yeah, so, yeah i mean cool. redfish over 40 inches they're federally protected so yeah. now they have the potential there's no one's gonna kill them they yeah. could get to be super giants I wonder how that works with the world record for it too as far as i know i think it's i think it's like tarpon i think you have to apply for like yeah, a like permit a per, yeah like a tag or something yeah yeah, but yeah, that's, and it's still within reason. Like you can't just be like, "Oh, it's forty-two inches." This forty, I guess it's not big enough. Oh, uh, like, uh, well, guess gotta eat it. No, yeah. yeah, no. I mean, I've seen photos of multiple reds caught in Virginia that were over ninety-four pounds. That's ridiculous. Like ninety-four is the world record, and these guys are catching a. They can't kill it. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean nuts. that one Fineo caught. I don't, it's not coming to mind right but now. He caught one that literally three people are. Oh holding wait, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. thing's tail yeah, was yeah. like. 
almost was two and a half feet. Was that with Blacktip? Uh, no, that was a. That wasn't when Blacktip was here. They when Blacktip H was here, they they caught they found that huge school. They were catching them, you yeah. know, a couple miles off the beach, and that yeah. like two mile long school. Yeah, but um, I yeah. remember that photo now that you mention it. Yeah, those, those that fish was like six feet long. Yeah, like massive. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts, man. We get the biggest reds in the world, so it's that's like the thing. Say, the world record redfish was a ninety-four pound redfish caught in Hatteras off the beach. Yeah, but off it was the caught, beach or off the pier? It was off the beach. Okay, but it was caught in November. Yeah, which means that fish was in the Chesapeake Bay its way and up. heading to Charleston for the winter. Yeah, so our as opposed to like the Florida Reds or in the Gulf Coast Reds and all that, our fish spend the our majority of the time. Fish. From yeah. the Chesapeake Bay to Charleston, South Carolina. So that they're staying that mid-Atlantic. Yeah, they don't range, all so. make it that far south, but a lot of them do. And right. there's actually reason to believe a lot of our super giant reds, those really big 50-plus inchers, yeah. you don't see those fish getting caught in North Carolina like you do in Virginia. Yeah. They think a lot of those fish head straight east yeah. and go out to like warm water offshore and mm-hmm. then come back. Gulf Stream Because you go down to North Carolina right now, there's smoking redfish down there at like Harker's. Yeah. But you never see 50 inches. Yeah. They're all like 44, 46. You might see a 50. Yeah. But you're not seeing 55s like yeah. what you see up here. Right. Yeah, the red redfish, red drum species definitely has a, a bunch of different disciplines. You can fly fish for them. You can jig. You can do all that. And it's just. I mean, the Chesapeake Bay is so, such a vital part of that fishery because those fish are coming here to spawn. Yeah. They spawn in the fall off the coast. Yeah. And they're here spending their whole summer eating bunker, eating mm-hmm. crabs. And then when it's time in September and October, they migrate out and right. spawn. So. Yeah. Definitely a super cool species. Th- that's. I mean, my some of my first saltwater fishing is bridge Chesapeake Bay bridge tunnel red so drum. So, trauma you're going, yeah, you're literally jumping off the deep end immediately. So. Want to see something cool? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Want to see me do it again? <laughs> no. So yeah, that, that, that's a solid number one. And, uh, it's a pretty cool list. I, I think some of them were predictable if anybody really knows us, but there's a couple sleepers in there that didn't expect. So, yeah, all right. totally forgot about not forgot, but I, I thought about the flatheads and I was like, I couldn't put them above any of those five. Yeah, I don't know. I wrestled with a lot of things because I didn't even mention the sturgeon in Idaho, and that's it. I I get like nostalgia for like the first time I've been somewhere. Yeah. I keep trying to like relive it, and Idaho sturgeon. That's one of those and, things. Like, have you done it enough to put it in your top right, five? Right, right. Like the Idaho, I've done Idaho sturgeon. Twice that was my now, other thing. Is like, there's a couple things I had a lot of fun doing, but I've, I haven't done it enough to like, yeah. like shark fishing on the beach well, was one of those things. But like, musky fishing, musky yeah. fishing, some of the most exhilarating stuff you can do. We've spent a lot of time doing that though. Yeah, not as much as I should have. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been in a couple of years. You know, now, it wasn't so even really... close to making this walleye. <laughs> yeah, walleye. <laughs> they weren't even in the top five hundred. Yeah, I don't know. I'm now that. I have a boat to fish for walleye. I feel like my opinion on And now that... The problem with Virginia's walleye fishing is when it is time, it is the worst time of the year. Yeah, it's miserable. It's cold. It's it's cold. It's It's, wind. We've never been when it wasn't windy. Your guides are freezing up. It's one of those things. But guy on my... uh, on my Facebook feed, caught. I mean, some of the, another a, thing. A near some of state the record. Some of the largest walleye on planet Earth are in Virginia. Yeah, I mean, he like, caught. People don't realize he that. caught a fifteen and some change, and our state record is fifteen pounds. Fifteen wasn't ounces. our pre nineteen eighty five record like 
22 pounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've talked to some guys with the state. They've shocked up 16-pounders. They've shocked up a 20. I mean, there, there's giants out there. It's yeah. just – it's like anything else, man. Are you ready when that fish hits? Are you gonna be? Are the you other gonna thing have your with stuff a twenty-pound walleye or a fifteen-pound walleye, that fish isn't eating a four-inch kaitek. That no. fish is eating a musky yeah. bait. Yeah, you're throwing big stuff. So, I mean, the guy I know that caught it caught on a musky bait. I well, I don't know that as fact. He was trying to. I would say I've seen some of his stuff, and I've I've sort of quietly admired him, and he catches a lot of his giant walleye on musky baits. So they're definitely. Right now, we're in a pre-spawn period for those fish because yeah. towards the end of next month, they're going to be, as that water gets up into the mid-40s. to the spawning areas. Yeah, they're going to be preparing to spawn. So right now, they're definitely hard in a pre-spawn stage. So catching those fish on musky baits, especially a 15 and some change. That yeah, fit, I think a 15-pound walleye, that fish's head is head. Giant, man. It's a big one. That I mean, fish could eat like a musky. Yeah, so but. I don't know. Maybe I'll get lucky one day and run into one of those, but... Yeah, walleye fishing isn't our favorite thing to do. I'd say white perch fishing isn't our favorite thing to well, do. Now either. that we found that sub spot, <laughs> that what? makes the spot with the subs right there by oh, the yeah, boat yeah, ramps. Yeah, 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 yeah. Walleye fishing, yeah, that place. They, yeah, they make some good sub sandwiches, cheesesteaks. That slapped. But yeah, well, I think it was a pretty solid discussion. We're at an hour and thirty-six minutes on right this about the same time. Yeah, so uh, we'll close it out by encouraging you to check out our website, haverodswilltravel.com. Check out the multiple different programs we have on the Have Rods Will Travel podcast network. That would be this one, the Peeling Drag podcast, uh, the podcast I host myself, which is called Species Specific. We just talk about different species and how to catch potential trophy size fish in those species we have our buddy david graham who's on the site with us uh he runs boundless pursuit it's a uh regular conversation with interesting people he he interviews uh big fish anglers people with interesting stories it's just a very uh, colorful conversation i recommend you check that out and uh david and i do our own podcast like this called have rods will travel based on the website and our potential show that we're working on so um check those out on the have rods will travel uh studios uh youtube page check it on the website listen to this if if you'd rather listen instead of watch uh check it out wherever you consume your audio podcasts so uh, with yeah. our camera issues, we strongly suggest you uh, stick with the, <laughs> yeah. stick with the audio for yeah. the first few. If episodes. I've edited this good enough, you'll never notice, other than us constantly talking about it. But you know, this is episode two. We're going to constantly get better at this. I think we've made a giant jump in our audio quality since episode one, but we're still clearly working out our camera issues. We have. A Canon, we have a Sony that is on Grant, and we have a GoPro. And guess which that one has is cut the off weak again. point? Yeah. So oh, nope. we're still alive. Yeah. Hopefully we we'll get, get that there. figured out soon. But thanks for tuning in. If you uh, if you have any questions, address them to the Havrods underscore Will Travel Instagram in on any potential. Um, uh, Instagram posts pertaining to the Peeling Drive podcast. You could message us on social media as well. Yep, or on our socials if you see us. Or you can email haverods at gmail.com. Just put the subject in the title. Uh, we'll give you a little shout out, drop your socials, all that good stuff. But ask us questions, give us something to talk about. So, got anything else for us? I'm good.
All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Stay classy, San Diego. (laughs) Have a good one.